Well, once again, welcome to the study of God's Word. And it may surprise you that we're still in verse 10, is it, in chapter 1 of Colossians. So those of you who were wanting to us to take our time, you may repent of that. <laughs> Six months from now, we'll get to verse 11. <laughs> and then by the time we finish Colossians, we'll be so old, we won't remember what we've learned anyway. But what I wanted to do this morning, how many of you were not in here last week? Wow, good night. Um, last week, we continued to elucidate the issue of faith and work and we connected our salvation and its continuance our sanctification unto glorification unto the end our perseverance continuance unto the end connected it with the necessity of our continuing in faith and so what I think that did I think it did something very good I think it caused in some minds, and if it did in yours, please be honest to raise your hand because I don't know whether it would have it in mind because I'm not on your side of this. But it caused in some minds to think, does that mean that we could in some way, using the non-biblical terminology, lose our salvation? Did it cause any of you to be more concerned about that issue of perseverance? I think they were questions. And so what I have said before, and I'll repeat it this morning, whenever we as believers discuss the issues of the faith, we must as much as possible <clears throat> do that conversation on the basis of using biblical terms. Once we use biblical terms, we have a reference we have a frame, we have definitions, we have examples from the Word of God that can inform, that can elucidate, that can correct, that can achieve God's purpose. But if we're going to discuss these issues among ourselves or with anyone else, <clears throat> and we begin to use a term like lose your salvation, the problem becomes immediately a non-biblically used phrase which has no connection with anything in the Bible because the Bible never uses the phrase, lose your salvation. And so there is an understanding. I understand what you're trying to get at. But what we must do is get at this issue using biblical terminology. And so when I say the Bible doesn't say anything about losing your salvation, some of you will say, oh, I understand that. That's a term the Bible never uses. Do, do, have you ever, have you, any of you ever found that term in the Bible? And then others will think, well, wait a minute. He said the Bible doesn't use that term. Therefore, you can lose your salvation. You, you see what goes on in our minds. And we have to be careful of thinking through and being not subject to these waves of interpretation or these waves of this is what he meant, this is what he said. And so what I hope is happening is that as we are discussing this issue, and perhaps today will be the last one we do, and next time we'll get into the rest of the verse, I'm hoping what's happening is that it's causing you to search the Scriptures. You remember the Bereans. Paul left Thessalonica and went down to Berea before going to Athens in chapter what of Acts? Acts 17. And when he preached the word of God to the Bereans, they searched the scriptures to see whether these things were so or not. And so the Holy Spirit says they were nobler than the rest who don't search the scriptures. And so anytime we hear in a class that I teach, in an alpha that Frank does, in a sermon that one of the other guys or I may preach, in a pivot, in a bridge meeting, any meeting, in a covenant group, any meeting, and we hear or think we hear something that we're not 
unclear about or we're confused, let's make sure that first of all, we search it out in the Word of God. Then let us come together and discuss it on the basis of what saith the Lord in His Word, rather than in the corners of the building. Well, did you hear what, what A.J. taught? He said this, and, and then everything gets messed up because we're participating then in vain speculation, and we're warned not to do that by the Apostle Paul. Okay? So let's pray and start the class. Father, thank you so much. Father, thank you that, as the apostle tells us, everything, everything necessary, everything necessary for life and for godliness has been granted to us by your divine power. And so, Father, there's nothing left out that we need to be able to believe and walk in obedience with you unto the very end. Thank you for this. So, Father, cause us every time there's a question about anything. Cause us to be driven by your Spirit into your Word. Illumine our hearts. Show us the truth. And, Father, where your Word does not discuss something, whether there were dinosaurs on the earth, whether aliens came here. <laughs> but Father, where your word doesn't discuss it, cause us to be very, very careful about what we say about it and how we consider it. But Father, what your word does give us, let us be those who stand firm on that word and fight the good fight of faith for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so let's go back and talk about our walk of faith as God's means of sanctifying and securing us. Now remember, we use the term walk of faith and work of faith interchangeably because the Word of God uses both. And the problem here is, I think more than with anything else, is the word work. Typically, we believe or connote the word work with something that's negative. Now, how many of us theologically, when you hear the word work in relation to how we relate to and respond to and walk with God, how many of you think negatively about that word work? Only two people. It's amazing. Thanks for a little few more hands. I think all of us do. Now, I'm not picking on any of us because I think all of us have done this to some extent or another. In the city of New Orleans, this is a city that is more basically Catholic than any other religious system. And so what happens is we as believers in sharing the gospel, we want to make sure that we emphasize that our faith in Christ is not a work of our own work. And it isn't. But we have to also remember that Catholicism doesn't have the corner on works to be saved, personal, moral works. Every single human being on the face of the earth is born with the issue, with the thought, with the activity of trying to ingratiate him or herself to God in some way through what we do. Amen? Works is indigenous to us as fallen human beings. What kinds of works am I talking about? My personal works of morality. But the Bible also talks about works. So remember, we distinguish between the two. The works that are condemned, that none of us can perform in order to be or to be kept saved or the works of unrighteousness. Remember, we've discussed that in a class or two. The works that the Bible approbates, that says this is the work that God approves and requires and is pleased about, those works are called works of righteousness. 
So when we're talking about works, we must distinguish between the two in order to be clear in our conversation. And so the Bible absolutely does talk about faith to be saved. It also talks about work to be saved, work connected with the activity of faith as God's gift of righteous activity in us. And so last week we said that the Bible does not teach that we are saved and kept saved apart from the means of faith. So you see, we cannot say we are saved and kept saved unconditionally. We are not saved conditioned on anything in us and about us, but we are certainly saved on the condition of the operation, the activity, the presence and the activity of faith within us. In fact, you see, remember we listed several passages that teach the need to abide and to endure to the end. Remember we talked about that. And so it's not an automatic thing that once I'm saved, therefore I can coast and no matter what I do, God has saved me and I'll be saved to the end. And that's called what? Saved and once saved what? Always saved. That's the thought. That's the thought in saved and always saved. Or once saved, always saved. By the way, it's not a biblical term. So we should not use it. And anytime that kind of a terminology comes up in our conversation, let's make sure that we stop the conversation immediately and turn the terminology, transform the terminology into biblical content. Let's make sure we do that. Otherwise, don't talk about it because you're going to be in the ditch. Don't talk about it. Go to the Bible and find out what does the Bible say. Just don't talk about it using incorrect language. As a result, some of you may be asking about our security in Christ. What does that mean? Does that mean that once I'm saved, I will not persevere? I will not get to the end? Does this mean that we can, if you would, using that incorrect terminology, lose our salvation? So what I want to do today is reiterate some of the fundamental truths about the work of faith as it relates to our security in Christ. All we're doing is reviewing. So I'm going to try to go through this as expeditiously as I can. It may take me <clears throat> a few minutes uh, over today. So if we dismiss here in the church, it's just getting out. Keith has preached. It's just my fault this morning. So let's look again at what the Word of God says about God's work of saving and keeping us saved to the end. Keeping me saved to the end is called persevering faith or the preservation of the saints. It's called persevering, not perspirating faith, but persevering faith. Roland means that it is faith that keeps on going all the way to the end. That's the terminology that you want to use. It is called the preservation of the saints. God preserves to the end that which he begins. And so in any of these conversations, let's make sure we use the terminology that relates to what the Word of God says. We are kept to the end. So let's look again at what the Word of God says about God's saving work. Ephesians 2.8. You may want to either open your Bible, it may be in your notes. I'm not quite sure how the notes were arranged this morning. I forgot to look at them. First of all, Ephesians 2.8. Everybody looking at Ephesians 2.8, is it in your notes? Okay. Let's take it piece by piece. For by grace you have been saved let's stop for by grace you have been saved this is God's side if you would of this great redemptive work God initiates our salvation by applying the saving finishing redemptive purchasing forgiving work of Christ on the cross he applies all of that that Jesus has done in John 19, 30. When Jesus says, it is finished, he has collected into that statement everything that he is as a man, the Son of God as a man, and everything that he has done, he collects into that statement and now says everything is now absolutely, completely finished. Nothing else can ever be added to this grand work of finishing God's will as to our salvation, the forgiveness of our sin, the overcoming of death in his resurrection. 
This is God's work. And God initiates our salvation by applying to our hearts this work of Christ, which he gives us apart from any moral ability on our part. It is given to us. So remember, for by grace, what? You have been saved. When were we saved in the view of God? In a historical sense. We were saved when Jesus died at the cross and rose again. Galatians 2.20 tells you that. I'm not going to quote it. You should already know it. Galatians 2.20 tells you that. We have been saved. Now, when did it come to us? Ephesians 8 does not stop there. For you have been saved through grace. You can't stop there. I'm saved by grace. Yes, but don't stop there. The second, through faith. You see, God places a condition on our side through faith. Remember we talked about the word dia, through, dia, the channel of. Faith is the necessary path or the necessary channel through which God's grace flows into our hearts. Faith is the God-created desire and ability in us so that we will believe and we will receive God's gift of eternal life. If you and I do not have faith, God's grace will not flow to our hearts. But the issue is this. Those whom God saves, He will always give the ability to receive by faith. You notice what we said. We didn't make it any of our work or anything of us yet. Those whom God saves must have faith to receive. But you can't have faith apart from God giving it to us. And so it's not that God has saved you and is waiting for you to say yes to Jesus. That's not it. Those whom God has in his mind before the foundation of the world. What did I just quote? What, what verse? Before the foundation of the world. What? Ephesians 1, 4. Remember that? Those who he, whom he has saved before the foundation of the world. He's called us before then. Those whom he has called before the foundation of the world. Those also are the ones that he will give the ability, faith, the path, the channel to be receiving of that faith. So those whom God saves will be saved. It's never up to me in my own ability to try to get enough faith to think this thing out and to believe it. But verse 8 says more. Faith. And I've already talked about it, didn't I? I jumped ahead. And this, this word faith, this and this, you know, for by grace have you been saved through faith and this, what? The word faith. Some people think it's grace. Well, everybody already knows grace is a gift, so we don't have to tell them that. It's the word faith is a gift. For this is not of your own doing. It's not of your work. It's not of your unrighteous desire. This faith is not naturally or spiritually indigenous to us. It is a gift of God. So then, in the case we did not understand it, in case you didn't get it, what does Paul say in verse 9? You see, he's going back and reiterating using a little bit different terminology, but the same sense. In verse 9, this gift of faith has been given to us. What? This has been given to us. What? Not as a result of our works, so that no man may boast. What kind of works are our works in that verse? Our works of unrighteousness, our works of moral ability, our works of trying to get this, to trying to attain. None of us are saved like that. We are saved when God gives to us by the Spirit this revelation of salvation, this gift of salvation, which when he puts that in our hearts, our hearts are changed from not wanting and resisting to wanting and receiving. That's the gift of faith. And it's a one whatever boom work, which looks like from our part we were saved because we wanted it. 
Well, we were saved because we wanted it, but we didn't want it on our own. We wanted it because God wanting moved and my wanting came together and my wanting became God's wanting. His wanting became my wanting. And that similar wanting, that cooperative wanting, if you would, finish the work, if you would. You see, our faith response to God's grace is his means of justifying us. Remember what Romans 5.1 says. You should know Romans 5.1. There are certain verses all of us should always know. What does Romans 5.1 say? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So you see, our faith response to God's grace is the means of his justifying us. He comes to us with this gift of forgiveness, this gift of I am declaring you as never having sinned, as not guilty because my son in your place has paid fully for your guilt at the cross. And I am now giving you that accomplished work. I'm setting it into your heart. And when he sets it into our hearts, the spirit changes our heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And when he sets that gift into our hearts, we say yes. And that yes is faith. That yes is receiving. But it is a gift to us, but nevertheless, it is, if you would, our part. We cooperate with it. Someone has asked, can we come to a place where God saves a person and he refuses to cooperate by faith? Well, what's your answer? First of all, does the Bible say that? Does the Bible ever say God gives his grace to people and waits for them to say yes or no, hoping that they will say yes, not sure if they will say yes? I mean, does the Bible talk about that? No. It just talks positively about those whom God saves are saved. Do, do you see that? It talks positively. It doesn't go into these extraneous issues. Yeah, but what about... Well, before you start discussing what about, read Deuteronomy 29, 29. I'm sure you know what that says. You just read Deuteronomy 29, 29. Before you go into issues, that Bible isn't clarifying. 29, 29, Deuteronomy 29, 29. I'm not sure if they put that in the notes. Evan leaves it all out when I just say it this morning. You see, once justified, we begin to live. Now, let's, let's get it. Let's get it. How many of us in here believe that you, how many of us believe that we are a saved people by faith? How many of us have received the gift of eternal life? How many of us can say that? Raise your hand. Okay, now, how did you receive it? By what? Works of your own morality, the works of the law, or by trusting Jesus by faith? How did we get it? Which one? Trusting Jesus. How many of us trusted Jesus for this? How many of us tried to do the best we could and we finally were perfect and we finally kept the whole law and now we say we can be saved? How many of us did that? None of us did that. So once we are saved, once the transaction, if you would, is completed in us, how are we to live? Once justified, we begin to live by the very same faith as God's image bearers. Remember, Colossians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. We were saved by recognizing our sin and our inability, by recognizing and receiving God's work of power to save us. We're kept saved we're persevering, we are preserved the same way. We're preserved the same way by the same activity of faith. Now faith is actually mine and yours as a gift. It is ours personally. And now we have the ability to say yes or to say no to the will of God. Before you were saved, you had no ability to make any choice like that. You did not have that free will. But now we have a will that can say yes to God or no to God. How is this accomplished? How can we live by this faith? Look at what 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says. For we are God's fellow workers. We're 
co-workers with God. You are God's field. You are God's building. You see, now in our faithful partnership with God, now that we're saved, we have been brought into a faithful partnership with God. We're working together with God. Our and his hands are clasping together. And we are working with God for the building of his temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 16, remember, we're the temple of God. And we're working to build his temple with God in our faith cooperation with his spirit. So it's not God who is building us as his holy temple. It is not we who are building ourselves up as a holy temple. It is God with us, in us, and it is we with God. All of God, all of us, together, we, God, together, we're building the temple. Amen? I've heard people say, all of God and none of me. Well, that's absolutely ludicrous. It's just, again, one of those terms that are not in the Bible. Don't use that kind of stuff. Don't use that kind of stuff. You know, God wants to, to eradicately eliminate everything of me. and it, No, it's crazy. God has joined himself into a partnership with us. Right? We have become partakers, partners of the divine nature. Did you read that? Where, who said that? Who said we have become partakers of the divine nature? Somebody, who said that? Does anybody know who said it? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse, what? What verse? Y'all have to look it up then. We've become partners, partakers of God's divine nature. Our bodies have now become, by the Spirit, infused with the presence of God. So how do we know that we're able to endure to the end? How do you know you're going to endure to the end? Well, how do you know it? Can we biblically support the notion that once God saves us, we will preserve, persevere to the end or endure? The Bible uses, you know, depending on how the words are translated. How do we know? Can you support biblically the notion that now that you are saved, you will endure to the end? If someone says, you better be careful, James. You may not endure to the end. Bob, you better be careful because you may not endure to the end. What they're saying is you can, quote, lose your salvation, unquote. You may not endure to the end. Is that biblical? Can you support the notion that I can and I will endure to the end? You see, if you cannot, hopefully today will help. But we need to be able to support these thoughts that we have and if we can't support them allow the holy spirit by the word to make adjustment and make correction i've been corrected and adjusted so many times you know by the spiritual chiropractor that you know this is i'm just not nearly walking the same way i used to and hopefully in 50 years from now while i'm still teaching in here i will be able to be even more correct some of you should have laughed at that one I'll at least be in here. I may not be teaching every week, but every other week in 50 years. Probably I'll teach one week, and it'll take me a week to, you know, rest up and come back again. We have been given God's promise. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.8. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.8. Everybody's looking at 1 Corinthians 1.8. What does 1 Corinthians 1.8 say? He who... God, Jesus, <coughs> the Holy Spirit, he will, or does it say hopefully he will? Does it say he might? He will sustain you to the end. Guiltless, justified, you see, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guiltless, by the way, does not mean that you did not make any mistakes and that you did not sin on the way. It means that before God, having been justified by faith, God sees us as forgiven, even though he still sees us as sinning. God still sees us when we sin. He knows about that. But he sees us as forgiven and justified in that. He will sustain you to the end. 
But you see, he does not do this independent of our faith. Once you're saved, it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to get to the end, is an unbiblical understanding of what the Word of God says. It also doesn't say that once you're saved, if you sin and don't repent before you die, you're going to hell. It doesn't say that either. It doesn't say that. You see, it does not say that, we're, that God does this independent of our faith. It doesn't say that. He does this, what? He sustains us. We are preserved to the end through faith, through our faith. It's ours and his. He has given it to us, but Joe, now that he's given it to you, brother, it is your faith to exercise. It's yours to do it. If I've been given the ability to speak Spanish, it's my decision to say, como esta usted? It's my now decision to operate that way and to function that way. I can do it or I cannot do it. He does this through our faith, through our faith cooperation of the work of the Spirit in us. Listen to Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, disbelief, not depending, not obeying, unrighteous deeds, trying to do the best you can, etc. If you live this way and denying God's work and presence and the work of the Spirit in you, if you live by the way, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit. How many of us are living by the Spirit today? Let me answer this way. How many of you believe you're not living by the Spirit today? You see, if your hand goes up, then what you're telling me is you're not saved. Now, Ken, did I say perfectly living by the Spirit? No. How many of you consider yourself to be righteous? Raise your hand. If you think you're righteous, raise your hand. Well, if, you're, if you don't think you're righteous, what do you think? If you think you're not righteous, you're not saved. Are we getting this? Are we getting this? I am a righteous man. Why? Because Christ has made me righteous. Can you get it? John, do you have it? If I'm not righteous, I'm none of his. I'm a sinner condemned to hell. I'm righteous. Having been justified by faith. You either are justified or you are not. We are not being justified. That's Catholicism, the infusing work of justification. The Bible says we are justified or we're not, one or the other. And once you're justified, God declares us as righteous. Amen? How many of you now understand and can say to someone with all humility because it is a work of God undeserved by me according to my moral ability but received by me through the gift of God's faith to receive it. Thank God, thank God, thank God that he did all this. Therefore, I'm righteous. How many of you can say now, I am a righteous person. Come on, raise your hands. You can say I'm a righteous person. Now, do you always live righteously? How many of you have children? Okay, well, how many of you have grandchildren? You know, we have children and grandchildren. How many of your children disobey from time to time? Well, does that unchild them? Does that unchild? I don't have any children. I don't have any children. I don't have any children. But that's how we think spiritually. We've been born of God. We're heirs of God. We're adopted. We're children by God's grace through faith. You see, I believe we're emphasizing faith as our part because there are too many believers who think that once you're saved, you can kind of drift through this, and it really doesn't matter what you're doing. I'm free to do this. It, it really doesn't matter. Now that I'm saved, I can do this, and I'm do that, and I can do the other. And, and really, I, I've been free to just, not, that's not true. You're reading the wrong Bible. You're reading the satanic version. You need to read the godly version. So please do not read the worldly version of the Bible and think that's God's word for you. How are we going to get to the end? Paul has the answer, the same answer, Galatians 3.3. 3. 
all you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, by faith, are you now thinking you're going to be completed in your own works? Yeah. You started by faith. Now, how should we continue? By the same faith. So how can we persevere to the end? The answer is in Hebrews. So let's look at this as I go through it. And I think I can get, good night, look how much more I have here. Heaven's alive. How do we get through to the end? How many of you, and I would believe that it's not honesty if some of you don't raise your hands. So let's be honest. How many of you really, not all the time, but maybe occasionally or whenever, or maybe all the time, whatever, <coughs> how many of you are concerned about persevering to the end? Any of us had this concern about persevering to the end? How do, how, what about that? What about it? Now, those who didn't raise their hands, and I wouldn't have raised my hand on it. Why? Oh, well, Peter, no. No, because God has taught me something. You see, Phil, God has taught me something. It took years for me to get it, but he's taught me something. He's taught me something about my weakness and his strength. He's taught me something about Romans 5.20 that operates in me. Mm, another one you're going to have to look up. Hebrews was written to protect the church under attack in mostly Judaism, to depart from Christianity and go back into Judaism because of the difficulties and dangers and the attacks of the Roman Empire, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Hebrews is written to encourage this church to persevere to the end. The author says, don't jump ship. Remember that ship issue in Acts? Paul says, look, if you want to be saved alive, stay in the boat. Stay in the boat of faith. Stay in the boat of faith. And so Hebrews is written to encourage people to do that. And it's a long, remember, it's a long, it's a discourse. It's really a speech. It's a sermon. And intermixed through this particular sermon are five real warnings against abandoning faith in Christ. Five real warnings. They mean what they say. The first one is the danger of neglect. Do you have that listed in your notes? Okay. Then we have the danger of unbelief and disobedience. Then we have the danger of not maturing due to the unbelief and disobedience. And you see, it's a descending thing. And then we have the danger of rejecting the sacrifice or the person and work of Christ. And then we have the danger of refusing to listen to Christ. Now, these are real dangers that if you do this, you were jumping ship. I don't believe, well, they're not believers, or they're not this and that, or they're not. Oh, no, I believe the Holy Spirit meant what he said when these words were penned, that if this happens to you, if this is your experience, you have jumped outside of Christ. You are now apart from Christ. Now, did, did it say that this is possible or not possible? Did it give any of that? No. It just simply says, if this is the way you're going to go, here's what the result is. So you tell your child, sweetheart, if you walk out to the middle of the street and that bus runs over you, you're going to die. Is that a real warning? Is it? Does that mean that your son will or will not do it? I can't hear you. No. It simply is a warning of a parent that you will genuinely die if you walk out in front of a bus. He's not inferring that they will or they will not. He's simply giving a warning in view of what is happening in their lives. So chapter 11, remember, it records the persevering victory of those who refuse to abandon their faith. Chapter 11, remember the hallmark of faith. By faith, by faith. And it sweeps history. And all of these people persevered to the end by what? Faith by the operation of God's Spirit that had begun the good work, the continuing operation by God's Spirit in them. Then chapter 12, we're talked about, we're told how faith is preserved to the end. How do we do it? How can we be preserved to the end? By the way, this is not the only passage, but this would be a passage to help us. How do I know that now that I'm saved, I'm going to persevere to the end. How do I know? Well, first, well, let's look at what it says. Let me not jump ahead of myself. I am not going to get through this on time. 
Therefore, in view of all those people who persevered to the end, by the way, if they persevered, does that mean that we also can persevere? Yes. But in view of that, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, these people in chapter 11, let us also, what does it say? First, lay aside. What does that mean? Decide to put off and put away. Make a decision by faith. Every, how many is every? All and any. Weight, what is a weight? An encumbrance, a burden that interferes with. Do your notes have this in there? And sin, what is sin? Disobedience, failure to exercise faith in God. Uh, that's, a whole, that's a whole realm in itself. What is sin for a believer? Is sin the activity of saying, oh, damn! Is that sin? Well, it depends. It depends. If it's said, generated by the Holy Spirit, and I'm saying it cooperatively with the Holy Spirit, it's not sin. If it's an activity of my flesh and my frustration, it's sin. You see, every sin is an activity of the lapse of faith. You can't sin by faith in Christ. You can only obey by faith in Christ. And so we were saved not because of what we did not or did do. We were saved by God's gift of faith. We are kept saved to the end, not because of the activities that we do, but by the faith we are flowing in by the Spirit. Does it, do, do the activities matter? Wait until next time. People will say, well, Peter doesn't believe that we need to obey, and it doesn't matter. It matters, but how does it matter? It doesn't matter in one category, but it does matter in another category. Perhaps, perhaps not. We'll have to see. So it says what? Sin. What is sin? It's a lapse of faith in a particular category. How many of you have sinned this week, last week? Okay. How many of you didn't sin? And what is sin? Sin is an activity of my flesh against the will of God, and that means I have just walked out from faith in that particular issue, not from the faith in Christ. How many of you can genuinely say that you have sinned and yet you have still trusted Christ for your life and your salvation and whatever? You see, aren't we peculiar people, but that's just the fact of the matter. Let us run. What does that mean? The exertion of one's effort. You see, this is, this is, look at how much stuff is on our side. He didn't just say, trust God, trust God, trust God, trust God. He doesn't say that. He says, do something and don't do something. Where am I on this? Run. Okay, with endurance, steadfastness, constancy, even the, great, even the greatest of trials, the race that is before, set before us. How do we do that? Look at verse 2. Looking off to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Keeping our eyes on him. You see, when we begin to think, will I persevere to the end? Now, stay with me because some of you think this. And I understand I, I'm sensitive to this for you. I commiserate when I think, will I persevere to the end? Where's the weakness in that question? My eyes are upon me and my activities and abilities. And the Bible says, put your eyes on Jesus, on him, his activities, and his ability. Does it not say that? So the next time something like this occurs, well, don't say, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not don't, no, face it <laughs> and realize, Ronnie, what I'm doing is looking too much at me. And the Bible says what? Don't look at you and your circumstances and your abilities and your whatever. Look to Jesus. So when these things happen, I'm not losing my faith 
but I'm walking in weakness for sure. And I need to adjust my view, my eyesight. And I need to look off to Jesus. Well, what about that? What about that? What about anything? Look off to Jesus. What about that? Look off to Jesus. Yeah, but you don't know. Look off to Jesus. Can you say amen? I need to wear a shirt like that someone gave me. Thanks, Linda. <clears throat> you see, Jesus seeks us, saves us, and secures us in himself by his spirit for the glory of God to the end. Nobody responds to that, right? Jesus, what seeks us, what saves us, secures us by his spirit for the glory of God. How long? To the end. So why do I believe in the perseverance of the saints? Why do I believe that? I believe it because I'm not going to look at me, my weakness. I'm going to look at God through Christ and his strength and accomplished work in Christ and continuing work of his power in me by his spirit. So it's not a heady thing or a pride thing. It's God thing in me. If I'm not acknowledging that, if I'm wavering on that, if I'm wondering about it, there's pride coming in because it begins to set my mind and my thoughts and my view on something other than God, and that begins the activity, activity of pride. Don't you see? But when I see God and I see the truth and I say the truth of God and walk in the truth of God, that is humility. That's humility. You see, it's not our faith that saves us and secures us. Don't think we said that. You could be asked that, does Peter think that you're saved by faith? How many of you believe we're saved by faith? The Bible doesn't say that. We're saved by grace. Faith does not save or secure us. Uh, uh, <laughs> Faith is the gift of God's presence and work by the Spirit, enabling us to look to and to trust and obey Jesus who seeks, saves, and secures us to the end. Faith is God's work in me to embrace that salvation that Jesus has saved. I am saved by the person and work of the Son of God on my behalf. Amen? Faith does not save me. So but what does faith do? We have to be, uh, so let me very quickly. He's the author of our faith. Where do we get our faith from? We got it from him. He is the perfecter of our faith. He brings it to completion. He brings it to maturity. We're saved by his power. Remember, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I have a bunch of scriptures here. How do we get saved? Some people teach this. Everybody on earth has faith to believe. And it's up to that person to exercise faith to call upon Jesus. Now, where do they get the thought everybody has faith? Is that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. Oh, but I know Romans 12, verse 3. You see, Peter, you forgot Romans 12, verse 3. Well, look at Romans 12, verse 3. Everyone, Paul's writing to whom? The church. Among you. To everyone among you. Saber, if you're saved, you are one of them. You are one of them, Rachel. You are one of them, Jeff. You are one of them, Thomas. Everyone I say that everyone among you has been given what? A measure of faith. Wait. What, what, wait. It was given. But what does Romans 10, 17 say? For faith what? Faith come. Faith what? Faith what? It comes. Oh, wait, it's not indigenous? If it comes, it ain't in me. It's got to come from outside of me. Faith comes. You see, the Bible doesn't say that we all have faith to believe in Jesus, and we need to exercise that faith in order to get in the kingdom of God. It doesn't say that. It says faith is a gift. It comes. It has to be given to us. And everyone in the church who is saved is already a recipient of that gift. See, we have screwy ideas out here. There'll be preachers who say, everybody has faith, everybody, and you have to exercise your faith, and if you don't, you're not saved. Well, there is an element of truth in that because if you don't exercise faith, you're not saved. 
But to say everybody who has faith is incorrect because the Bible doesn't say that. It simply says to the church, you guys have faith. And Romans 10, 17 says faith comes. And there's there just other verses, but we didn't put them all there. Jesus' purpose. My Father is glorified. Listen to this. I want to end with this. John 6, 37. And Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Will what? They will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. They will come, and I will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You see? So, why are we saved? Is this correct? We become children of God because we called on Jesus. Is that what Jesus says in John 10, 27? It says this. What? Do you remember what 10, 27 says? What does it say? Remember my sheep, hear my voice. So what does it say in 10, 27 of John? Somebody read it to me so I'll know. Is it 10, 27? Is that what 1027 says? Well, maybe it's a, uh, I'm looking for the verse that says, they're not mine. 20 what? Can't hear you. 26? Okay, go ahead and read 26 loud. Sorry. You see, it doesn't say you're not part of my flock because you don't believe. It says you do not believe because you're not mine. I'm not preaching the new gospel. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. So look, here's my personal, based in the Bible, based in the power of God, looking off of Jesus' statement. I am saved, and I am being saved. And in the midst of all my crud and disobedience and failure, God's victory of faith will continue working in me by his spirit because of his persevering power, and I will be kept by the power of the Spirit, saved to the end by faith. That not of my own, but it is a gift of God. But I must exercise faith. Now, will I jump ship or not? I hope not. I think not. I'm not planning to. What happens if someone jumps ship? Do it and find out and write us a letter. I can't tell you. All I know is what I know, what the Bible says. Next week, I, Dean and I will be across the lake at Jeff's church, so if you would, please come back in here for a time of prayer. Jason and Evan will be in here for you in that time, and uh, we'll continue with the work, work of pleasing God and rewards according to works. Rewards according to works. Because your, your obedience does matter.